Today is also a chance for Americans, especially our young people, to say thank you for all the things we love from Japan, like karate and karaoke, manga, and anime, and of course, emojis. Good morning, good evening, and good internet. I'm your host, Josh Dunham. You are listening to the podcast version of Senpai Coast to Coast, the most wonderful damn anime podcast ever. So, today, or this week, I should say, we have some pretty neat stuff lined up. We got some, it's been a busy, busy week in news, a great review. I'm excited. I got a bunch of stuff on the way. I should probably mention that here soon. And also, ah, the Oricon Top 10, probably, maybe my favorite part of the show, I don't know, I just like listening to the different music. But as I mentioned a little earlier, I went on a little bit of a shopping spree, guys. Got my uh, brand new check from my brand new job in the mail, and I was like, ah, that's a lot of money, what should I spend that on? So I went through, went down to my local Amazon web store, and I said, ah, that book, that book. So I ended up spending $100 on books. And then I bought a figure on top of it, yeah. And then I finished watching Nisekoi, and then I was like, oh, I need to buy a Chitoge figure. And and then I bought Sanjo Kahara. So, with that in mind, it's a busy week for news. Let's waste no time and get going straight into that. <laughs> So many hopes and dreams have been made and shattered this week when it comes to news. When I'm referring to shattering, you guys know I'm talking about Konami. So Konami is undergoing, at this very moment, some restructuring issues. Now what exactly that means is nothing good for us. Remember that Guillermo del Toro and Hideo Kojima project that was going to have that guy from The Walking Dead? Yeah. Well, Norman Reedus the actor, commented on, well, Silent Hills being cancelled. Konami, for one reason or another, has decided that, I don't know, just not profitable. And poor Guillermo del Toro can never get his game career seemed launched in the right direction. It doesn't help that for the longest time now we've had speculation that Hideo Kojima would be leaving Konami, and that Konami still has yet to comment on. However, for those of you who already downloaded the quote-unquote PT, or the playable teaser for Silent Hills, you might want to keep it on your hard drive. 
the playable trailer will be pulled Wednesday the 29th, which is kind of sad because that's the day of this recording. So for all you Silent Hill fans, it's kind of bullshit. But at the same time, not all is lost. We still have the Phantom Pain. However, this does not bode well for the rumors that Kojima may be leaving Konami, and if he leaves Konami, it could very well be the final Metal Gear game. Other news in gaming, Pokken Tournament, the Pokemon fighting game, released a video showing Gengar as one of the playable fighters. This is kind of exciting for me because Gengar was one of my favorite Pokemon from the original 150, 151, or even 152, depending on who you ask. Some more bad news to add insult to injury. ANN reports that the top manga magazine circulation dropped over 10% in just one year. Now this is a big deal because basically this is where you're going to get your next anime properties. Something like the next Naruto, the next One Piece. It's all going to be happening here. So, giving the numbers and the period, we have the January-March first quarter of 2014, we can compare it with the January-March quarter of 2015, and we can see that slowly over time that each of the magazines were losing, and I pray to God not still losing, readership and circulation. 10% is a large number to lose, especially in one year. Weekly Shonen Jump alone, my favorite magazine, went from 2,715,000, dropping all the way to 2,422,000. So literally dropping close to 300,000 in just one year. Now, perhaps this has something to do with Japan's declining birth rates, but it's a little bit ridiculous. It's a scary thing that 10% of your circulation, thus equating pretty much to almost 10% of your market in some circumstances. Now I understand that you can you can go and argue and say, well, circulation does not necessarily incur that it's market loss. Perhaps maybe, you know, like during times of war, you ration the paper, that sort of thing. Obviously nothing that extreme is going on at this moment, but the fact that it's dropping circulation means that there should be, quote unquote, though by the laws of supply and demand, less supply equals, well, it should extend the demand, but it means that it's trying to meet a demand that's diminishing. And that's what's really frightening for me, is that literally 300,000 people are now not reading your Bleach, your your neck, this new Naruto that came out this week in Shonen Jump, the new Boruto thing, and maybe that's for the best. But regardless, my point is the same, that if we're going to get a new manga property to, to carry us on, to carry the name and the flagship of Jump, not, not as many people are going to see it anymore, and that's kind of sad. And I guess we'll just keep going with the bad news. A recent study shows that new animators in Japan, the in-betweeners at the entry-level positions, are basically earning $9,200 a year. Now, that's, that's poverty level for pretty much every state across the board. Now, this contrasts a previous study of which I mentioned an article not too long ago on ANN with uh, Sachiko Kamimura, who was able to break down the payment of yen per drawing, per, per in-between drawing, and uh, given the average rate of drawing, it breaks down to about a dollar. That's not good news at 
all. This is a similar vein of Shonen Jump losing that much circulation. If you want an industry to thrive, there needs to be money in it. There's no money. And it's not being paid to these people if there is money. However, this is also a good thing for people like us. And this is going to sound cold-hearted, but here's what happens when you have people doing a job where they don't get paid very much. They're doing it because they enjoy it. They're doing it because they have a passion. Which means that people who are passionate are going to go places given the right circumstances. They're going to be more apt to go above and beyond versus, oh, just meet status quo. It's a double-edged sword, and one that's not fair to the animators by any means, and just horrible, horrible news coming out of Japan right now with the anime industry, the manga industry, and even the video game industry now all taking blows, and just, it's not a pleasure to hear. However, one person who is willing to admit his faults, Yoshiyuki Tomino, has spoken recently about the Gundam Gino Reconquista, basically addressing Okada, you know, the otaku king, the self-proclaimed otaku king, one of the founding members of Gainax. If you need more information on him, be sure to watch Blue Blazes, the, the J-drama. But basically, Okada made the comment that he couldn't follow the storyline at all. Yoshiki Tomino, being one of the most adamant voices in anime, said, quote, frankly, I didn't think it would be this horrible. Fundamentally, people don't respond to stories made with cold logic. If the logic is overpowering, it wouldn't be a story that you can be emotionally attached to. That's all. After episode 19, we improved it so it would become a little easier to watch. Oh gosh, it was too late. With a terrifying amount of effort, we managed to wrap up everything by episode 26. In that same interview, when, when Tomino was asked if Gundam Gino Reconquista adequately discussed what Tomino was feeling and thinking for his story, he said, No. I think a lot of people got caught up by the exterior, the action scenes in particular. But the people I'd most want to see it probably didn't. That's the guys in the cabinet, the nuclear energy guys. I don't expect them to. Tomino has always been a, a commentator on Japan. His original Gundam was probably the, one of the most brilliant commentaries on, on war in general, but also what happened during World War II. Tomino is also one of the few men who will voice his opinion of what happened in Manchuria, the, the rape of Nanking, He's one of the few people who will actually acknowledge openly the horrors of World War II that Japan has tried so hard to kind of brush under the rug. That being said, I read an article somewhere where someone made a very brilliant parallel to the situation of the military base in Okinawa, the militarization that Japan is facing right now. Um, for those of you who are unaware, Abe... Prime Minister of Japan, recently called for a redraft of Japan's constitution. What he was saying is, it's been how many years? 70? Why don't we look at this again and try and make something a little bit better? The idea that Japan needs to correspond more on the world stage is the primary uh, motivator for such speak and such, such thought and idea. Now, 
The Japanese public seems to be unwilling to go along with this idea. However, there is a shift happening in Japan right now, and it may be subtle, and it may be almost invisible to most foreigners. However, newspapers keep reporting it, and it's evident when you see a commentary such as this one. I did a review of Death Parade for the first episode, and it kind of questioned morality. And that's not status quo for Japan. Sure, you always have that one particular scene in an anime where it's like, well, can we do this, can we not, you know? And yes, it's a moral question, but Death Parade itself was built on a moral foundation. Gino Reconquista, even though the story may be jumbled around, it is a commentary on the current situation. I myself have not finished it as of yet. I'm waiting for uh, Anime Gundam to finish subbing it. He did awesome work with the Gundam Build Fighters Try, so I'm just waiting for his his particular translation. He himself has said it's it's difficult to translate with the number of military terms and and court speech that happens in the show. And you wonder why? Because it is a commentary exactly on this. So, how can we take this? and actually move forward with it. I propose this, and anyone who hears the sound of my voice, please somehow get this to the ears of Yoshiyuki Tomino, okay? This is typical fashion for a Gundam series. We've had the series now, I'm surprised, only 26 episodes. I, that just, it's remarkable to me. I can't fathom a Gundam season, or a Gundam series having less than 50 episodes and still being completed. And you, and you can point and say, well, there's that one. Well, yeah, it also had a second season. Gundam has always been a long-running series. It kind of needs that time to really do everything that it intends to do to, to tell the complete story. G-Reco was really compressed, in my opinion. That was its greatest downfall. It's trying to move too fast. And too often, when you're watching a Gundam series, it feels like the story sometimes does not move at all. But it does. It is moving, but at its own pace, at its own designated storytelling. What we need to do, or what Tomino needs to do, is make three films, just like you do for every other Gundam series, but actually pace it right, add some scenes, tell a story. I think Gino Reconquista had a great premise. And I honestly think that its commentary would probably be one of the most intelligent ones in modern anime for, well, this day and age. But my point is the same. This isn't a lost cause, not yet. We can wait for a couple films and see where it goes from there. The original Gundam itself was not super popular when it first came out. Not until the films. So, as much as I see people being harsh on G-Reco, I kind of want to give it a hand and say, well, there is something here, and that thing is gold. And it's not that the rest of the anime is horrible, well, from what I've seen of it. It's just jumbled around. It's kind of as if Tomino stepped up on stage, didn't know he was going to make a speech, but still wanted to nonetheless and just started ranting, which is, he's been known to do. This anime embodies that. So, at least Tomino is willing to ad admit his his faults, I suppose. Another cancellation. The Dengeki Hobby Magazine has ceased publication. 17 years and now it's moving to digital. We will no longer receive any print version. It's a Katakawa magazine, and quite frankly, in this day of media, 
going as fast as it does, it's kind of hard to, to maintain a, a print version that is speedily that is speedy enough to, to maintain pace. Now, the flip side is also, well, if you include little extras, this, that, and the other thing, but it looks like that will not support Katakawa's Hobby Magazine, which I'm kind of disappointed at. I never particularly picked up Hobby Magazine, but it was always one of my favorites to browse through when I was going through Kinokuniya books or whenever I saw it. Seeing the different toys and that sort of thing it always gave me ideas of something to purchase. Now, it wasn't really the, the deciding factor or the motivator, but to hear that another print magazine, print in, in, in general, is on the decline as we, we, we saw from the Shonen Jump statistics, just to hear that another one bites the dust is not exactly what we need. Now, let's start firing back. We got some good news. I mentioned last week when Marnie was there, would be going to more American theaters. There is a complete list across the US of where this movie will be showing. Luckily for me, it will be going to Atlanta by June 21st, so I will be going down there to check it out. But other than that, you need to check with your local listings, you need to check this article on ANN has all the, uh, the listings as well, and the dates, so that way we can make sure we support this limited theatrical lease. This is a Ghibli film, and it's quite possibly one of the only ways that America understands anime is through Ghibli. If we don't support this, well, I'll just say we'll have bigger problems than Shonen Jump's declining circulation. Just when all hope seems like it's lost, you need a Genki-dama. That's right guys, we are getting a new Dragon Ball Z TV series, and here's why it's exciting. Because Akira Toriyama, the man himself, is drafting the story. This will take place after the original TV series, that is after Boo, and might even tie in with the films. We could possibly see Beerus and Whis as real characters in the series. It is coming out this July, and I am so super excited for it. New Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Z Super. I'm overly excited for this. This possibly could tie in to the films. We could have Beerus, we could have Whis in there as, as, as real characters, and it's already been promised that we will have another villain, of course, escalating the power climb that will be stronger than Boo. Now, to hear that alone, some people are going to roll their eyes. But this is like the first Dragon Ball Z series that's not Kai that we've had in 17 years. Literally over half the lifespan of Dragon Ball Z has been without a new anime series. Just not too long ago, we were celebrating the 30th anniversary of Dragon Ball Z. But it's been over half of Dragon Ball Z's lifespan and we've not had a new anime project besides, of course, the films or Kai, but this is a brand new series! It's gonna premiere this July! It's so close! Literally, after this spring season is done, we will have a new Dragon Ball Z to watch! Done by Akira Toriyama! Just when the Titanic is going down, we're gonna move to a review of Nisekoi. 
for you to understand why I enjoyed Nisekoi so much, you have to understand why I am such a big fan of Studio Shaft. So, for those of you who are unaware, anime is done by studios, okay? It's basically a production house which produces their, their media. They get hired, they create their team, and they, and they produce the anime. Studio Shaft is basically one of these, and it's almost always involving one man, Akiyuki Shimbo. Akiyuki Shimbo has such a directorial sense, it's kind of hard to exactly pinpoint because sometimes it's quirky, sometimes it's a little bit overdramatic, sometimes it's both. He has a very unique style that is very easy to pinpoint at any moment if you know you're watching an Akiyuki Shimbo show. In fact, sometimes even if you don't know, it's kind of like, think of it this way. Akiyuki Shimbo is in many ways like the Hideo Kojima of anime. Not that he does political intrigue or anything like that, but Hideo Kojima has just such a unique style, alright? You can definitely tell it's a Hideo Kojima game no matter what, no matter when, just simply because of the way it's handled. That's why Metal Gear is so successful, is because that game has such a unique style, not just it's a stealth action genre, of course. That's what gives it leverage over a game like Splinter Cell. It's just, I'm a big believer that if you stylize anything the proper way, you can sell it. I was a big fan of the show Panty Stocking, and I love the stylization that Hiroyuki Yamaishi uses, and Akiyuki Shimbo is no different. Now granted, he has his own unique style from Kojima and from Imaishi, and that's what sets him apart. For those of you who, who may be aware, um, Akiyuki Shimbo is basically the Shaft Man. I call him Mr. Shaft so often, and that's because he's on every single project. Now, Shaft has also produced some of my favorite anime of all time. And every time, Akiyuki Shimbo has been involved. Bakemonogatari, uh, Madoka Magisha, Arakawa Under the Bridge. You have these different anime which are just so stylistically unique. And Nisekoi is basically the tail end of all this. Now, granted, I'm only reviewing the first season, the first 20 episodes. And I know there's an ongoing season right now and I'm watching it and I'm loving it just as much. But the thing that you have to realize is that this show is super stylized. Either you enjoy it, or you don't. When I get the chance, I'll make sure to link you to a phenomenal analysis that was done by the Twitter user Jexus. He was watching Yu Yu Hakusho, and as he was going through it, he noticed a lot of the Akiyuki Shimbo episodes absolutely had a different stylistic appeal than their counterparts. And we're talking not just, okay, here's one episode, and it's totally different, and it was a one-off thing. No, no, no. It was like, a linked story that even had scenes overlapping. One case and example is when they run into the the demon Biako, one of the four beasts, the white tiger. And you run into him the first time, it was episode 16 if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, there was a brilliant scene when you first run into Biako, and it slowly gives you scenes and cuts of of the beast, and then finally zooms out and has a wonderful feature of horizon lines and just that whole episode was was brilliant it uses force perspective in many different ways and of course you have to remember that shimbo is a director he's not an animator per se at least not anymore now yu yu haku show was before he ever worked for studio shaft to give you a brief history of shaft it kind of started out from mushi productions mushi productions for those of you who may be up on your anime lore was the studio that was headed by by Osamu Tezuka. 
Um, Osamu Tezuka had a rivalry with Toei Animation, and so he started Mushi Projection. So in, in September 1st, 1975, Hiroshi Wakao, who was a, a member of Mushi Productions, Osamu Tezuka's studio, broke off and ended up making his own anime by the time of 1987. However, when it comes to the year 2000, Shaft and Gainax teamed up on one, well actually several different productions, but one in particular was Gunbuster. And everybody knows how wonderful Gunbuster was. Well, the interesting thing is that the first original anime that had been done, well, I should say the first modern original anime that had been done by Studio Shaft was Madoka. Now, the thing that brought Shimbo in was Sukuyomi Moon Phase. So from there, ever since about 2004, Akiyuki Shimbo has been supremely involved with a lot of Shaft's productions. And of course, Nisekoi is, is no different. But it's interesting because you can see almost everything that Shimbo has participated in, in some role, and it has a Shimboism. Um, another way, I, I guess, to those of you who may be a little bit more familiar with Christopher Nolan, he has a very unique style. Even when you're watching Superman Man of Steel, which has you know, Zack Schneider as the actual director, you have a lot of Nolanisms in there. And that's the same thing with, with Akiyuki Shimbo. Even if he's not the actual director, there's so many Shimboisms in there that it, it's almost impossible to, to avoid. And that's not a bad thing unless you just don't enjoy that. Now one thing Shaft is particularly known for is their jump cuts. They have a lot of different cuts that sometimes don't necessarily make sense but add to the gag. Bakemonogatari, for example, had a lot of cuts where it would be something like they'll be talking, and of course this is based off a light novel so I thought this worked very well, They'd be talking, and all of a sudden, boom, you'll get nothing but a blank screen with maybe a little bit of text or one word or something of that nature. And as far as I'm able to tell, I've never actually read the light novels, but I've skimmed through some of the translations, the fan translations, and it, and it seemed to really depict the book. It, it, it did it justice, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. There would be times when there was only a single word that was blocked out as its own paragraph, and so that is how they, they decided to do it, was through those jump cuts. Now, the style that Shimbo uses has, as I mentioned before, always been evolving. The shaft head tilt is something that is almost a staple, and the jump cuts at this point are now a staple. So, if these things bother you, then pretty much anything shaft ever does is going to bother you. However, it doesn't bother me one, one bit, I absolutely love it. And that's why Nisekoi was so enjoyable. Now, to get more on topic about this show, my original run-in with this property was through the manga. I had gotten a subscription to Viz's Shonen Jump, and I I'm still not, but I wasn't caught up at the time with practically any of the series in there. And I'm saying to myself, I gotta get caught up so I can read this week to week to week, right? So I go to the local library or your bookstore or whatever, and, and buy or rent or whatever, and try and read these things to get caught up, but sooner or later it just doesn't, doesn't seem to happen. And so... I said to myself, Josh, you just gotta read something. Just start reading something. I mean, it's Shonen Jump. What if you've never been introduced to manga before? You would just pick it up and read it, right? And I said, okay, well, instead of trying to be a purist, I'll just pick one. Pick one of the series that, quote unquote, I valued least. I'm looking at Nisekoi, I'm saying, it's a harem. I'm not a harem person. This is not my, my genre. This is not my thing. So I'll just, you know, I'm paying for the damn magazine, albeit digital. It's only a dollar, but... Actually, it's less than that now with the subscription. But my point is, I'm, I'm, I'm paying for this already. I should just read something. So I started doing that, and I kind of ended up enjoying it. It was cute. 
there were certain parts of it I thought were just kind of cute, and that was, for a while, the only series I was reading in Jump, at least uh, week to week. Now, when the anime came out, or when I finally found out that the anime had been done by Shaft, I said, this is either going to be really good or really bad. I'm not a big fan of these long series that adapt long series of manga, for example, I don't watch One Piece. I read One Piece because I'm a purist, but also because that grind of having to do an episode after episode after episode, week after week after week, there's a production level that kind of has to stay, I don't want to say flat, but you expect it a consistency. And unfortunately, in order to, to maintain deadlines, they have to bring that expectation a little bit lower than what I would like to see week to week. Now, that's just economics, right? We all know that toy animation, for example, because they do one piece, I'll use them as an example. When they do a film, they have the A-team. It always looks great. Um, I love Dragon Ball, and I'm very excited with the new Dragon Ball being announced. But Shaft is taking, and I've seen this exchange a little bit, this little shift over to a new style. Um, Attack on Titan seems to be doing this. Black Lagoon kind of started doing it a little bit, where you animate sections and story arcs and then like just give it a break too often what would happen is they would slate it uh, they would slate the anime adaptation for so many episodes and then that'd be it example claymore you get 20 something episodes we'll get as far as we can and then hurry up wrap it up and sometimes they'll go back or maybe they never do or they do the full metal alchemist route they get caught up and they say well we're just gonna kind of do our own thing or they take the shonen fighting shows such as naruto and bleach and that sort of thing where you have bountiful filler arcs all these work but my favorite so far has been this sort of handling of a series a long-running series where we're going to treat it as if it has a beginning and an ending you can watch nisekoi the first season all by itself that first 20 episode season and it does have a beginning and an ending not that the ending is conclusive and says okay here we go but did the characters grow? Yes, most definitely. And maybe we don't need to see the final evolution of every character. But my point is the same, that there was still character development and character growth. And I know some people will argue with me in that. But I'm going to defend this show because I actually enjoyed the story, too. As much as I'm not a harem person, I guess I kind of am. Anyway, first things first, let's get this out of the way. I'm a team Chitoge person. I love Chitoge. She's my favorite character out of all the girls. Not that I don't enjoy any of the other ones. Onodera is, is obviously uh, my second favorite. Tachibana, she's fun. At the same time, she also kind of... Just her character as... I guess maybe Irks is the proper word. It's not that I dislike Tachibana. It's just out of all of them, maybe I like her least. Ruri is actually one of my other favorite characters as well. Even though she's the straight man... And Onodera is really the, the, the comedic one. The roles feel reversed because Rudy is always doing the most extreme thing trying to get Onodera into the situation, even though she's always dead serious, Rudy herself. I, I really enjoy that character as well. But each of the characters, I, I, I had to put myself back in high school shoes or, or, or teenage mode for a, a little bit and really stop and think about it. As you get older, or maybe as you become part of a relationship once you're at a I don't want to say higher but once you're in a different state when you can say okay I was silly I was foolish for example 
how many times have we looked and said, with our girlfriend or boyfriend respectively, and said, man, if I had said this to you earlier, this relationship would have gotten started much quicker. Because we can find out and admit after the fact, once we know it's safe, that that person felt the same for us for more or less of all, you know, the longest time. But while you're not in the relationship and there's not that confidence, that safety net, it's very hard to admit. It's very hard to do that. And so that's what a harem thrives on is the fact of, I want to share my feelings, but I can't. Oh my goodness. Oh, he's going to reject me and that sort of thing. And so in that regard, yes, it's doomed to always meet that trope of you're always going to have that rejection, fear, that's going to be your bread and butter to drag the story out as long as possible. And of course, there's always going to be those situations where like, no, it's not what it seems, blah, blah, blah. However, that does not drive the story. That's the interesting thing. So often, the story is driven with these harem shows of, oh, it's because I can't tell him, blah, 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 blah. In fact, Nisekoi is the opposite. The premise and the major uh, story of Nisekoi only moves forward when feelings are revealed, when feelings are admitted, or when something happens in such a way where characters are actually generally growing closer, maybe not as lovers, but as friends. For example, I love the situation, even though it's an Onodera episode, I love the episode where she and, and Raku go out and she ends up showing him, okay, slight spoilers of course, her quote-unquote secret hangout. And it's just nothing more than kind of like a balcony, a little bit of a plateau in the city, where it's a wonderful, amazing view. And Raku's like, oh, okay, this is kind of cool. She's just, you know, doing this, that, the other thing, you know, good friend, whatever, right? Kind of kind of downplays it, because he doesn't want to get himself too excited. Of course, he's basically in love with Onodera. He asks her, well, who else have you have you shown this to? Of course, you've shown it to Rudy, and she, and she cuts him off and says, no, I, I haven't shown it to anyone. You're the first. And, of course, he kind of gets the hint at that point. And that's when spoilers a revelation happens and so you'll have to watch a show for that but it, that propels the show forward now we're feeling that the characters are growing closer and tighter as a group they're they're being knit together slowly and slowly and slowly the whole premise of nisekoi for those of you who have been under a rock for the last couple seasons and have not even heard of this manga uh is basically you have our main character raku or ichijo and ichijo is the son of a very prominent very powerful yakuza family and his dad is always at war with other gang members it seems and when the show picks up he's you know that's exactly what's happening is he's trying to fight this other gang well one day at school raku ends up meeting chitoge our other main character she jumps over the fence and knees him right into the face so there's that they don't like each other at first and that's pretty much the whole premise they don't like each other and they're trying to get along because one day, Raku's dad says, Look, I need you to kind of pretend you're dating the opposite gang leader's daughter. And it turns out to be Chitoge. And of course, they neither of them want anything to do with each other. And so, there you go. They're forced to pretend they're together because if anybody in the gang finds out, other than the respective fathers, it's going to be all-out war. And of course, on Chitoge's side... There is the number one or the number two, whatever you want to call it, who's always looking out for him. His name is Claude. So he's always looking out for Raku to slip up. He's always looking for a sign that this is a fake relationship. And it is. So they have to play it up. And of course, there's always the slips of, you know, they're trying to get used to being, quote unquote, a couple. Uh, 
and there's some cute situations with that. But another thing I really enjoyed about this show was not that, okay, here's the main character, here are the girls, go for it. It felt often that each of them were their own respective character. We got into the mind of the girl as often as the mind of the boy. In fact, there were entire episodes which are not about Raku, they're about the girls. And that was something I really enjoyed as well, because they're own separate characters, instead of just these items to, to make toys and, and sell body pillows, that sort of thing. They're their own unique characters, with feelings, thoughts, ideas. And of course, what ends up happening, just like in every harem, is that even though opposites attract, you still want to watch that attraction slowly build. And that was one thing I thought the show succeeded in, quite frankly, was that relationship between Chitoge and Raku. Even though Chitoge is my favorite character, I, I can't say for sure, oh, she's definitely the one who Raku made the promise with 10 years ago. And that was something I forgot to, to tell you, is that the whole premise of this is that Raku also made a promise with a girl 10 years ago. So he's about 16 right now, so when he was very young as a child, made a deal with this girl he played with, and he, his memory's really fuzzy, I mean, most memories are at that age. He promised he would marry her, and it was a child's promise, but they exchanged items. He got this sort of locket with, with a keyhole. The interesting thing is that Onodera has a key, and so it seems like, oh, she must be the one. Well, then we had Chitoge, who finds out that she actually had a key, actually seemed to have made a similar promise with somebody, but she's fuzzy on the details as well. And then, of course, we have later Tachibana, who claims that she is the girl. So you have the, the dynamic of these three all claiming to have the Iron Throne of Raku's heart, if you will. And each of them seem to have a valid reason or valid claim to it. And, of course, as the, the show slowly progresses, we're trying to find more information about that. And that's the real tease. It's not, okay, who's in love with who, because we all understand each of them have their own separate relationship. But it's, who's the quote-unquote promised girl from ten years ago? Who has the real key? That's what we're really trying to figure out. That's the main hook. Stylistically, this show is absolutely beautiful. One of the things I really enjoyed right off the bat was Chitoge's character design. Of course, she being, quote-unquote, the main girl, whatever you want to call it. Her hair. Of course, I, I've never read the, the manga quite extensively as I've seen the anime, but Chitoge's hair was one thing that I really enjoyed. Simply because it's not just blonde, but it has, like, the strawberry mix into it, which, as far as I'm aware, is exclusive to the anime. They have a gradient on it, which gives the very tips this, this pink hue. And it, it's just super beautiful to, to watch because so many scenes, and they dramatize exactly what's going on. Chico, uh, Chitoge's hair is always blowing, and it has that gradient in it. So it's not just, okay, I'm watching yellow uh, streams or flap, you know, whatever, across the, the screen. There's actually a color to it. There's actually a substance. We can tell who this is. It's not just random character X who happens to be blonde and long hair. This is a unique design, and that's one thing I super enjoyed. Another thing, though, even though I loved the character designs, was also the deviation from the character designs in the animation. Another happens to be Chitoge with her punches. Every time she gets mad at Raku, she goes for this major punch or something, and it always warps the perspective, and it does some of the most beautiful animation work I've seen 
in a, in a simple television series. I loved it, and that's really why she's my favorite out of all these characters, because she gets the best animation treatment, which is kind of unfair to the rest of them, but that's she's the main one. I mean, she's one of the main characters. Not that the rest of them aren't, but she is the, the titular character, I guess, if that were to make any sense. That's really what drove me to this show, was that every episode I could look forward to some, I don't want to say gimmick because that sounds harsh, but some sort of trend. Each episode has its own little brand where they play with one thing after another, and I don't know if it was intentional, I suspect it wasn't given the nature of how anime is made, but slowly you see the progression of these trends and they start to mix better and better and better and better. So as you're watching the show, the stylization becomes more refined and at certain points recedes to give way to the story. Sometimes it is boom, plopped right in front of your face to enhance the story, but oftentimes less is more. Now, the flip side is there are certain scenes I really, really enjoyed when they just took the color away because it's such a sharp contrast. In our minds, and this is how basically humans work, whether it's music or art or what have you, we compare and contrast. So when you have a sharp contrast, it sticks out in your mind, right? And that's why Shaft shows are so amazing for me, because there's so much contrast. Not that it doesn't mix or flow, but each scene is, is completely different from the next. Another thing I completely enjoyed was the three layers that the animation seems to have. Too often you have a foreground and a background, and that's kind of usually what you have. You have the cells playing on top of a background, but with this, at least with Nisekoi, what I could tell and what I could see, and this is why I really enjoyed it, there were three layers. In a lot of scenes you have, not every scene, but in a lot of scenes, especially in the ones where they're doing uh, wide shots, where they're just two characters talking to each other, typically you have three. It's the foreground, the midground, and then the background. Now the foreground is nothing amazing, it's not like extra cells, it was just an overlay, typically of a silhouette of some plants or shrubbery, whatever you have, and it would be filled with this stylized, I don't want to say wallpaper, but that's pretty much the best way to describe it. it, had some sort of pattern throughout the whole thing, so it wasn't like you were looking at bushes all the time, it was a sharp contrast, colorized pattern that gave life to what would normally be a boring scene were only two layers. The midground, like normal, would be the characters and the cells moving and talking to each other, and then they have the background. The backgrounds themselves are beautiful despite being CGI. So all this works very, very well. Absolutely enjoyed it. it if you've seen Bakemonogatari, you kind of know what to expect. Well, I want you to think of one step further, but without the serious social commentary. Nisekoi is not going to be a show that you're going to watch and say, oh, I see the commentary they were doing there, or I see the homages they were drawing. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be its own genuine thing, so you don't need to be some super scholar to watch it. What I do recommend, though, is you familiarize yourself with other Shaft properties, not before seeing it, but if you enjoyed this show, you're definitely going to enjoy other Shaft properties. I can almost guarantee you that. But perhaps I have to talk about it. The weakest point in all the show was that same CG. The CG of the locket in particular kind of jolted me, kind of kind of just made, it just buggered out a little too much. And sometimes they were using, I think actually most of the time, 
they're using the same CG for the keys. So the keys in the locket, which are some of the most important items in the entire series, are then themselves not actually drawn. I understand the the locket would be pretty much difficult to animate. A lot of the scenes, like the first one, Ichijo Raku is just sitting there spinning around his finger as he's going into school. The lock itself has a very unique design. To have to draw that repeatedly, it slows down production time. I understand why they made it CG. But at the same time, I can't help but be a tad bit disappointed in the fact that this is Shaft. I kind of was hoping they would just go all out and, and do it like that. But other than that, absolutely no gripes. Absolutely. This is not a perfect show. I would feel comfortable recommending this to pretty much anyone, harem fan or not, just on the production levels that the show exhibits. There, you could watch this pretty much just for the production levels. I dare say, were the music not so catchy and so beautiful, you could pretty much watch this on mute. That's how wonderful the art, the, the visuals are. Show, don't tell. And actually, I, I guess that's a, a valid point. You can't watch a show on mute because that's how they show you things sometimes. There's one particular scene I pointed out on Twitter where Onodera and Ichijo are talking to each other and it would be normally a, a normal, boring, flat scene with dialogue and exposition to move the story along were it not for the use of the cuts and sound. One scene, we see them talking to each other. The next scene, we see her, she's kind of turning but still doing that shaft head tilt and talking back to Ichijo. And then we see Ichijo's reaction and all we hear are footsteps slowly fading away. It's brilliant because the conversation was delivered in three shots. We already get the idea that they are talking, she's leaving, we hear her leave, but at the same time we get Ichijo's reaction. We get all sides of the conversation, we know exactly what's happening. The sense of space of exactly who's where, when, and what they're doing is completely established at all times. It's a 3D space and I just, I love it for that because it feels relatable to reality despite this super stylized version of reality. So I guess to make a long story short, I just enjoyed this show for the story, the shimboisms, and the sheer production value. I definitely will be keeping up with this show for the new season, and I suggest you do too. But of course, if you disagree with me about Chitoge being the best girl, you're going to have to fight me for it. For this week of April the 28th, the Oricon Charts, dun 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 dun, we have for you a extremely wonderful lineup. Some familiar faces from the past few weeks are fading away, but are still with us for one last shot, and then we got a whole slew of brand new faces just waiting to meet your ear holes. So, without further ado, starting off at number 10 is Inochiwa Itsukushi by Nokisaka46. Inochiwa 
Love Revolutions by Otoya, Itoki, and Natsu. We can Number eight, the first week on the charts is Catch Me If You Can, the Japanese version by Girls' Generation. Number seven. First week for this one as well, YOLO Moment by Yuma Nakayama. Number six, Dekitate Evo Revel Generation by the band New Generation. Number five is the Love Live group Moo singing Miwa Moo Sick No Me. Number four, first week, Angel Blossom by Nana Mizuki. <laughs> Storm Riders by J Soul Brothers. Number three, 
Number two, some of you may recognize this band, Bump of Chicken from Tales of the Abyss. It's their hit song, Colin. Coveted number one position, we have 12 BU by HKT48. <laughs> There you have it, folks. This week's Oricon Top 10. So there you have it. There's that week's episode. Gone. Fading into the dust. <sighs> Man. Kind of sad. Kind of happy. But it is a good time to be an anime fan. I'll always repeat that. It's always a good time to be an anime fan. The other day, I... Got a little excited when I saw on Twitter an excerpt of Hideakano's commentary on the original Gundam that is in the back of Vertical Inc.'s Gundam The Origin, the first graphic novel. So I rushed out, being, you know, a total fan of Gundam and loving to read anything written by Hideakano, picked that up, and I brought it into work the other day. An interesting thing was I'm sitting there, it's on my break, and I don't usually do much on my break. I always end up going back early because I, I get bored. I don't have too much to do. Check the Twitter. Okay, post a couple things. Check stats. Cool. Well, now I'm reading Gundam The Origin. And it brought such a smile to my face that literally my co-workers, one in particular, kept looking over at me kind of smiling himself because it was just, I don't want to say an unnatural smile, but he could tell that I was enjoying what I was reading inquired about it a little bit and I handed the book to him. Of course it's in a super fine, super glossy format. Very enjoyable just to hold. And that's why I always say it's a wonderful time to be an anime fan, to be a manga fan, to be a fan of Japanese pop culture. It's always a good time to be a fan of something you enjoy. So with that, let's go ahead and end the show. You can contact me a number of ways, and I'm sure you're starting to grow familiar with it, but every episode could be somebody else's first episode. So let's go through the list. We got the email, senpaicoast2coast, that's the numeral 2, at gmail.com. You can always hit me up on the blog, which is senpaicoast2coast, spelt all out in lowercase letters, dot wordpress.com. And you also have the Twitter. You can find me, Josh Dunham, Josh underscore Dunham. Spelt the same way as the comedian who is always going to steal the Google searches for my name. 
I'm gonna plug my my anime list account as well. You can hit me up on Gum Gum Saiyan. That's G U M G U M and then Saiyan, spelt just like Dragon Ball Z. I'm just saying. Hit me up. Add me as a friend. Maybe we can compare our anime lists. Ooh. With that, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for making this show possible. Now, what can you do to help me spread the word? This is a, a, a flowering show, just barely taking form. Spread the word to everyone and anyone who you know would enjoy a podcast such as this. From any social media platform, you can raise your voice to Facebook, Twitter, whatever, I don't care. Share a friend, even if it's only one. Don't make my circulation fail like Shonen Jones. With that, thank you very much for listening. I'm Josh Dunham, and you'll hear from me again. I'll promise you that. Hey.